Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Between the Butcher and the block. Welcome to episode two of series one of The Butcher and oh, the Block. Jesus Christ. It's between <laughs> the butcher and the block. I don't know. Yep, this is the level of professionalism we're at. Well, look, we have actually interrupted our planned season. This um was gonna we were gonna bring you something completely different this fortnight. But because of recent goings-on in the United States, we have decided to have a chat to a couple of Seppos. Not only are they Seppos, they're Texan Seppos. We have with us Zach and Jonathan. And Zach and Jonathan... Our old high school friends. Say hello, lads. Hello. Hello, lads. Yep. <laughs> yep. You guys uh, knew you grew up in the same town in the greatest country in the US, the Republic of Texas, the Lone Star State. I'm sorry, but it just happens like the place we grew up was the dairy capital of Texas as well. Kind of a claim to fame. Oh, okay. Oh. I was yeah. just going to say, I did some uh, research this week too. I picked up a couple of books. I moved him out of the way of the TV and I watched the news. <laughs> Groucho Marx, that one. Um, it's been a wonderful night. This wasn't uh, it. You grew up in the same town. You went to the same high school and um, you remained friends ever since or have you reconnected recently? Or I would say that we're um, online acquaintances is probably the best way to describe. Yeah, our... I think that's pretty accurate. Like, you know, we, we haven't really spoken since we graduated, I would say. We haven't spoken um, since high school, but we've liked a lot of each other's memes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we both like memes. That's almost like boyfriend and girlfriend online, isn't it? It is. I was going to ask if you met on Tinder. Oh, yeah. Grinder. I better not. Um, well, and- I mean, that's one of the things I gripe with my wife about. She doesn't tag me in enough memes. <laughs> <laughs> if you really yeah, yeah, loved me, right. you'd like all my posts. And you're both kind of globetrotters, so you kind of went your separate ways. I know that, Zach, you have lived on a number of continents. No one could ever accuse you of being incontinent. <laughs> you have practically collected all the continents. I lived uh, for a brief time in the Netherlands, in The Hague, um, which was super awesome, great, fun times. Um, and then uh, spent five years living in Brisbane, Australia, I've heard uh, of that. which is where I'm yeah, that's where I met you assholes. And then I, um, yeah, after seven, seven-ish years abroad, back in the great state, but now I'm living in Houston and where Jonathan and I grew up is closer to Dallas. So I'm 
in a familiar place, but also a new place because I didn't, you know, growing up, uh, Houston seemed very far away. You know, it was like a six hour car drive or something. So we didn't go very often. Yeah, yeah I've only been once in my life. Of course, if you're in Western Europe, a six hour drive, you've crossed four countries. And, that was uh, the craziest. That was one of the craziest things was when I flew into London and we got the car and we were driving to The Hague. In the time it took me to go from my hometown to, let's say, Austin, I <laughs> I drove through France and Belgium, and then I, you know, ended up in the Netherlands. I was like, "Wow, this is road trips over here are going to be awesome." <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, Jonathan, where does this moment in time find you? I'm in Uruguay, down in um, South America, so between Argentina and Brazil. So you went down there initially, was it for a vacation with your family? Was it? Uh, no, it's kind of a long story. So um, it's, it also kind of has to do with like the, the policies that are going on in the US, uh, specifically in Colorado. Um, so one, uh, our kids were homeschooled. And so we were doing the Ron Paul curriculum, which is they have to start, a, start their own business by the time they're 15. Um, yeah. And so we taught the kids, like, hey, what do you guys want to go do? And they came up with this idea that they want to start a snow cone stand down in South America. And so we said, okay, we'll do that. Um, and so we, we came down here to do that a couple of years ago. Um, also, my oldest uh, was vaccine injured, and she ended up in the hospital for two oh. or three days uh, after receiving a vaccine. And so now in Colorado, one of the things that is happening is that they are um, mandating vaccines regardless of past history. Uh, so she, after that, like we didn't give her any more vaccines after that. Uh, so in order for her to go to school, she would have to go back and receive the vaccines again. And we just didn't want to have to do that. Uh, so we're looking through like options of, um, you know, uh, Uruguay allows us to have an exemption based on past history. So uh, we also wanted our kids to have a uh, like a non-American centric education and life experience, as well as become fluent in um, multiple languages. And so down here they can become quadlingual. Uh, um, they, they usually they teach three different four four languages in schools. Um, so we wanted them to have that experience and just kind of ended up like all these things kind of started adding up, adding up. Uh, we get tax benefits for being down here out of the U.S. Um, so we ended up coming down here for like a short period of time, uh, ended up staying longer because uh, we just kind of liked it. But I was still I still work in Colorado. Uh, so I was commuting basically back and forth uh, as much as I could um, between Uruguay. And then we I live up in, in, in the mountains in Colorado. And so um, when I came down to be with my family in March, the uh, border shut down. And I haven't been able to go back to the U.S. And so we've basically been, I wouldn't say like stuck here because, you know, this is where I want to be, but I don't have the option of going back to the U.S. anymore. Right. Many similarities between Texans and Australians, even if none of us like to admit it. Um, one of them is this, um, we get around, don't we? Um, yeah. <laughs> so look, Steve, Steve has a big scary question for you. Look, it's not scary. It's just a question that he loves to ask and I love to hear him ask it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting that you came from the same school, um, both Texans 
And yet, Zach, you've slotted away to the uh, Biden camp, and John's you've you've gone with the with the Trump camp. God, he's bringing um, the so, election into it already. Well, I, I just would like to hear the philosophical um, answer on on who you are as people. Um, but we ask that without bringing up um, age, history, experience, a metaphysical answer about who you are. Okay, a philosophical question about who I am without saying anything about who I am. What makes you tick? What drives you? What do you stand for? Mm, what do I stand for? Well, I guess, first of all, I'm a hopeful agnostic um, that has no idea um, what the um, answers are, but I um, I want to ask a lot of, I want to ask, ask a lot of questions. Um, and um, dig, you know, I like to dig deep into um, my personal uh, relationships and also my, me, I, I like to um, get into the nitty gritty whenever I, you know, have conversations or interactions. Um, I like to be uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> and other than that, um, the one thing I always, I'm, I'm, I am now, but always wanted to be growing up is I'm a father. And um, that is probably the, the number one biggest thing um, in my, that I am and that I identify as, is as a dad. You're my sweetie pie. And yeah, funny enough, now now it's with my kids. I think growing up, I, I had a lot of friends that my mom would always call strays that I brought to that, you know, that I brought in, that I hung out with, that I was trying to lift up. Um, so yeah, I think that I'm a, I don't know. What do you guys want me to say? I'm, that's great. That'll is that it? Can you edit yeah. that? Like that's No, you've said lots. That yeah. was a great answer. Yeah. <laughs> what, didn't you get the script I sent you? Br bringing two threads of that together is a bit of a seeker. You know, uh, wanting to be uncomfortable. Well, good. You're a parent, so you got plenty of that. But also that wanting to sort of explore, get to the nitty gritty of of yourself, and then mm. and then becoming a father. Um, what has that? What has being a parent taught you about yourself? That I am not very important. Like mm. per, like personally, in the big scheme of things that there's so much more um, beyond me and my existence. Um, so I think that it's given me this uh, hopefulness, like um, that the seeds that I plant, the, the stories that I share, the, that it lives on. We live on, but we're not important. Because we're just this little, you know, blip on the on the on the big long long timeline, and it's you know, it's just reaffirmed in me that it's okay that I'm a big child, you know, like I enjoy playing with them, you know, like getting down the floor, Legos, action figures, um, some of the more nerdy stuff that I was probably more embarrassed about before I became a dad. Now I just walk around in like Avengers t-shirts all the time. And, you know, just, <laughs> I, get to, I get to embrace my inner, uh, inner child with, you know, being a dad. What about you, Jonathan? Who are you? 
That's funny. I mean, I'm not an introspective person, so this is a really hard question for me. Um, you know, I'm I'm pretty I'm a stereotypical conservative Christian. Um, I'm big on like personal liberty, freedoms, and um, like Zach, you know, I like to provide perspective as well as receive it, because uh, I know that like for me to come to the conclusions that you know I've come to, it's it's almost like a full time job, and so in order for me to hear the other side of it, you know, I just may not have enough time to fully understand what someone else is saying. Uh, so having someone else that has kind of gone down that road and, you know, would present their side to me, I kind of like hearing their, their thoughts and their emotions on things. I don't really experience a lot of emotions too. So like hearing people um, talk about like how they feel about things and um, like the way Zach just kind of went off on, you know, being introspective on himself, you know, it's kind of, Good to hear because then it helps me figure out how to think about myself as well too so you're basically a psychopath john is that right yeah no that's that's pretty close you just like, um you just mimic <laughs> yeah, people no, with their feelings yeah no like the, that, yeah no technically i'm like you know um, autism spectrum or whatever so like i don't yeah. feel the emotions that other people feel the same way and so um yeah. like i don't feel the under understand primary emotions yeah okay well that could be a blessing and a curse but it was interesting for, for, for me because you're our trump supporter how do you when you're walking around uruguay and seeing some of the devastation around there in some of those south american central american countries mm -hmm. are you still able to side with trump with his wall and and, and some of his rhetoric yeah so that's the thing is latin countries actually are so with the exception of maybe mexico i think latin countries are very pro-trump uh particularly like colombia venezuela uh cuba, uh cuba um and argentina is very well argentina is a little bit different um as far as like politically like actually i think south america doesn't like american politics um too much because I think that you guys in Australia may be more interested in American politics than South America. Is that true? Possibly, yeah. Yeah. So, like, as an expat, you know, like, generally, they don't want you to speak English. They don't want you to um, talk about American politics because, like, they have their own things going on down here. Uh, so, bringing that kind of stuff up doesn't usually go over, you know, too well, and it doesn't help you assimilate into the culture and the society. Uh, but, you know, a lot of times people will uh, just kind of walk up to us like, oh, you guys are Americans. Like, hey, let's talk about it. Um, Trump is actually fairly well received down here. Um, I know that they, I don't know, just Latin culture is very different, I think, than um, American or Western culture. Um, just the value is a little bit different, like a little machismo more is like prevalent down here. Uh, do you think that that Trump has gone too far in not extending the hand out to China or into the, some of those Latin American countries? Uh, a hand to do what, though? Well, Venezuela, uh, people are starving to death in the street. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. Your infrastructure down there. See, all right. So I think that, uh, sorry, Zach, the, the Democratic side, do want to put those tendrils out into other other countries so they can prop up the infrastructure and the government and the bureaucracies with their own agendas do you think that trump not doing that has been bad okay. for him or for america yeah no i understand what you think so like nation building is kind of what you're going for like should 
the U.S. intervene. Well, that's the thing too, is like in order for the U.S. to really intervene, um, well, I guess they could send some sort of aid, but then they also don't support the current government. Uh, so I don't know. That's the, that's the kind of thing that, you know, it's kind of hard to answer for uh, foreign policy with the U.S. because um, what is the U.S. allowed to do? I, I know Uruguay is one of the few countries that does send support to Venezuela. Uh, I think that some of the things that I've heard is that maybe they don't actually accept support from a lot of the countries. Uh, like they have bridges blocked and um, they just you can't take anything into the country. Maybe I could direct it to Zach and ask, um, like Obama went into Afghanistan under the guise of helping the, the Kurds there, and yet in Turkey, Kurds were being killed by the hundreds of thousands as well. But because the bureaucracies were in, with, in Turkey and aligned with America, uh, Obama overlooked that. And we've seen it time and again, Suharto with the East Timorese in Indonesia, um, Pol Pot, do you, what do you think Biden's plan is or the Democrats' plan is to try and reach out to the rest of the world to try and get their bureaucracies and their government institutions through other countries? Well, I think initially it's going to be the kind of um, bumper sticker stuff, right? So by bumper sticker stuff, I mean like two, three word agreement type situations that you can slap on the, the bumper sticker on, on the bumper of uh, the democratic van that's driving through, you know, the world. So the first one's going to be the Paris, the Paris agreement, you know, they're going to get back into the conversations of climate change and, um, you know, being able to um, at least have a seat at that table um, and, They'll play a lot of that um, going forward, um, getting with um, other countries to talk about um, global issues, because that's not something that um, the Trump agenda is, you know, it's, it's all it's, it's all very, very America first. Right. Um, and so and I don't necessarily think that all of that's horrible. I just think that there's some of the some of the um, we all live on the same planet and the more we all work together to keep that planet healthy and thriving and existing as long as possible, the better. Um, I don't think that you're going to be able to figure that out on your own. Um, and, you know, in terms of the distribution and the communication coming on the, on the horizon with the vaccines that are forthcoming, I think that the U S will have to form coalitions with United Nations, G20s, bumper sticker, bumper sticker, you know, all the, the mm. big major, all, all the big major groups are going to have to walk in step to figure out a way to get that. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's something that I, I, I correct, correct me if I'm wrong, Jonathan, that I feel like conservatives aren't, you know, aren't big fans of globalism. Um, but I feel like that that is, um, that's what is going to, you know, that's what a lot of liberals, Democrats, the left, um embrace because we see beyond our borders you know you know there's so many issues around the world like america shouldn't be the one that people look to to solve every problem as well um but like i was saying before you know like a lot of the south american countries with venezuela in particular uh they are the ones like providing aid when necessary um and also i mean th those like with any sort of socialist or like you know strict um government like 
they have very strict controls over the population there. Um, just doing anything with them is very difficult, I know, uh, from like a political game. Um, mm. yeah. It's interesting though, because the, the sort of that, um, the anti-globalism is not, has not always been typical, say, of Republicans. So for example, little fact check there, you said Obama went into Afghanistan. Wasn't it in fact Bush that went into Afghanistan? Yeah. A Republican president. And look, the funny thing is, I think there are a lot of people around the world on the left, funny talk about the left, Zach, I don't think you have a left in the United States. You've got two right-wing parties. I've been but, gaslit. Um, um, there are a lot of people around the world on the left who would be very happy to see the US do less around the world, in military terms at least. And, and in fact, it, you know, it, it has been to some extent, but like under Obama, you had all this kind of, you know, a bit of a smiling assassin when you look at stuff in the Middle East with Yemen. I mean, how, how do you, Zach, as a kind of a, a more, more, a bit more of a peacenik, if I can put that <laughs> upon you, how do you countenance what the Democrats, what your side have done in like Clinton in Bosnia and Obama in Yemen and so forth. I mean, we kind of expect that kind of militarism from a from a, a, a Nixon or Johnson, but. Well, I would say um, I've never defended any meddling in other countries' war games. Um, if you, you know, if you follow me on, on social media, as much as I, you know, was a huge fan of Obama's, you know, hope and change unity platform. I also called him out on all this drone strike bullshit because that's just a different, it didn't raise as many eyebrows because the only lives being cost weren't Americans. So in terms of like uh, media coverage, in terms of uh, Obama kind of gets a free pass on that because, well, we're blowing up people in countries that, you know, from, from afar via remote, it, it loses the, um, yeah, the visceral immediacy response that like troop numbers, like, you know, when we were in Iraq, we were getting constant, you know, updates on this many troops died a day, this many troops died, you know, you're getting fed, you know, you know, you're getting that information and then your response is like, well, we have to kill more of them than they're killing of us. You know, it's a math game, right? It's all sports. It's sports. 47,000 Americans died in Vietnam and 3 million Vietnamese. But the, the, the media were projected how horrible the uh, the Vietnamese were. I think Reagan, um, he said there were POWs over there hidden, and there's still been no evidence of that. But the And the U.S. still lost that war. But from the American standpoint is, we killed more. Wee, wee! You know, like, look at this. Check the scoreboard, buddy. You know? Um, <laughs> That's where I find it difficult for you, to Zach, to say that you want America to go out and help with, uh, like, the Paris Treaty and this and that, but not interfere with some of the politics that are going. I think it's around the other way, that it's America wanting to go in and interfere and bring up their own thinking in other countries, and, and the Paris Treaty is the way to connect with, with people. But it's definitely the... Uh, you can see from the last wars, the Vietnam and why they went into Afghanistan... Is to is to get their bureaucracies into these other countries. Yeah, I feel like it hasn't been very successful either. So it's kind of like a lost cause in a lot of those countries. Mm. Mm. So um, whereas, well, I think oh, Trump done well. He pulled everything back from from paying out to countries for like immunity. He he uh, 
raised lowered taxes for, for companies that would come back from overseas and build in America. And I think that's what's been good about Trump is that he's tried to build the infrastructure within America so that they can be strong rather than propping up countries around the world. Sure. Yeah, like Zach alluded to, that's more of the America first um, mindset, I think, that he's promoting. And, you know, like we've seen Trump uh, downgrade a lot of areas. That's kind of like why I think that's when Mattis um, resigned was when Trump wanted to end the involvement in Syria. Is that correct? Am I remembering that right? It was around the same timeline. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like he he was very strongly opposed to taking that down because he wanted to keep a stronger troop presence. Um, and Trump like didn't like that. And so that's when they butted heads. Um, here most recently, I think the uh, Syrian envoy like um, bragged about misre- misrepresenting troop numbers to Trump because Trump thought there was like 200, but there was several, you know, a lot more than that there and still stationed. Um, and I think that's kind of like the, the overall, and also I think also Trump is always trying to downgrade Iraq and Afghanistan, maybe 2,500 to 3,000. Zach, I'm just curious because uh, around the world, a lot of us kind of look at the states and we scratch our heads. And uh, um, now, and I'll, I'll ask you both about that more. But how? Um, what, what's your perspective on on what Steve said there? That Trump has created infrastructure and um, returned kind of, um, I guess, uh, industry um, to the United States that had been outsourced. Well, I feel like um, I'd have to look at the concrete numbers, of course, to offer a you know well-rounded opinion. So I do know that um, a lot of those promises weren't kept. A lot of those things that Trump cites are lies. Um, and therein lies my biggest problem with him. I'm not, like policy-wise, is not something that, um, like Trump hasn't um, ruined America's economy or, you know, he hasn't um, from a war standpoint, he's, you know, outside of, you know, when they, they, uh, you know, there's a, I think it was it's two years money. ago. Yeah. That's sorry. That there's the name. They had the big strike on a, you know, number two guy, um, no, you know, big terrorist, um, but outside of, you know, he's not a warmongerer. I, I, I don't think he's a warmonger. I, that's admirable, um, but I have a philosophical, psychological problem with uh, what Trump does and who he is. Um, yeah, I hear that a lot too. That seems to be the main complaint I hear as well. Do you blame the uh, democratically owned and controlled uh, for that for that problem? I do. Like, I agree. Yeah. With, I agree with you. I think that Kaylee McEnany should be get employee of the year. She is brilliant. It doesn't matter what Trump does or says. She comes out and almost makes it sound positive. Um, but yeah, let's just say yeah, he's a bit of a lunatic. She's, but she's just a, uh, I mean, she's just a different version of Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I mean, every there's the the talking head of the of the uh, the press secretary talking head of the Trump presidency has always been um a bullshit artist um that's good at their job with trump if he's not happy they just get sacked right yeah and i do agree that um 
the media and you, you know, the, the mainstream media, the lame stream media, whatever you want to <laughs> call them. Um, it's, I think Mark Twain said, if you're, if you're not watching the news, you're uninformed. If you are watching the news, you're misinformed. So I think early on, I mean, there could have been a better way to handle, um, Trump's, um, falsity. Um, because now so what you, we, what, what are you kind of thinking of when you say that? What am I thinking of in terms of his falsity? Well, yeah, I was like, is there something that kind of sticks out in your mind? Well, I just don't know. How do you, unless you've just got, you know, a staff of 50 people that are sitting there with a pop-up fact check next to his head the entire time he's talking, <laughs> I don't know how you, I, I, I don't know how you can handle um, someone that lies that much. Um on in, in, a, in a public platform. Can you articulate one sort of example where he has lied? And we know there's many. He, he is overzealous, to say the least. Sure. Yeah, I'd just like to, like, you know, separate hyperbole from, you know, uh, lies. I think that that is probably, that's a really, that's a really good, uh, that's a really good statement, uh, John, because that's been the, one of the biggest issues for me is that now through the last over the last six years, we've these new things have come to be normal, right? Alternate facts. Um, and that, that you, that, that there could be two versions of truth. Now. You have to agree, John, some of those sound bites are absurd. Yeah, I, I think so. Like, the things that I disagree with most with him, I think is how he treats people. Um, and I think that's the thing that I don't appreciate from him the most. Uh, but, you know, you have sound bites like the, you know, what is, what's the, what's the one thing that the news and Biden. Well, always... Mexicans are rapists and murderers. Right. And so like what, yeah. like the context, like do you, if you take the context of that, it makes sense. The same thing with like, you know, there's fine people on both sides. Like you take the full sound bite of that, then, oh, okay, then that makes sense as well. Right. And a couple of, of actual lies. I mean, apart from weird things like, you know, minor, well, I mean, they wouldn't be considered minor for most people. Like when he said, I never called Meghan Markle nasty, whereas in fact he had. So these are things yeah. that, yes, of course, the media will spin things however they will. But the facts are the facts, you know, like you can, you can spin the facts, but things like this, the wall is under construction and moving along quickly. When he said that, nothing had been done. We have a $100 billion trade <laughs> deficit with Mexico. That was not true. That was cocaine he was talking about, and the plans to build that wall were probably under construction is what he meant. But that's not what he said. He, he said... <laughs> well, but, but, I mean, if you're planning to build a wall, you have to first design it. The wall is under construction and moving along quickly, is what he said. He said some funny things, too. Do you like the one where he, where he was in debate with... Hillary Clinton, and he said, you know, after all these years, I actually think Rosie O'Donnell, in comparison to Hillary Clinton, I think... Um, no, um, look, I mean, Rosie O'Donnell. I mean, if you think the Washington Post, you know, is owned by a Democrat, which I don't believe it is, but they have actually gone through, and in July 13 this year, Trump hit a magical milestone of 20,000 factual lies, you know, which is 
off the chart. I mean, all presidents lie. Clinton lied, but the the scale of lying seems out of control. And the thing that I I don't understand from you know, particularly like, well, I mean, John, you described yourself as a conservative Christian. I don't understand how the religious right gets behind someone who, through his behavior, is clearly quite godless. Huh? And the business community gets behind someone who's declared bankruptcy three times, inherited a whole lot of money from his dad, did nothing for it, and lost most of it. How women can vote for someone who says, if you're famous enough, it's okay to commit sexual assault. So how do you justify that from a from a from a Christian conservative perspective to support someone who clearly embodies the exact opposite of Christian values? Um, because I think the the cornerstone of Christianity is redemption. So it's like you know somebody can have a checkered past, but that doesn't mean that they can't you know be forgiven and atone for that. But he's got a checkered present. Like, I'm not saying Trump is the Antichrist, but if the Antichrist were running for president, that would be a justification for voting for him, her, or it. Sure. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Trump speaks to a very, uh, a very specific uh, base group of people that are going to do and follow him no matter what he says or does. I also think that on both sides, we have to stop painting each other with such a broad like brush like it's really hard to even like say these three things all trump supporters believe like you can't do that you can't do that with the same with with uh with with biden supporters like uh, something i had a real issue with um during the the last or you know the the lead up to this to this you know most recent election and i saw it online on social media a lot from both sides on the left they would say if you vote for Donald Trump, you're a racist. Yeah, right. And then, and then on the on the right, they would say, if you vote for Joe Biden, you want to kill babies. But that the media control exactly when it's democratically pushed down people's throats, as it was, like when Trump was elected, there was I, I couldn't find anything positive about Trump at all. But when Biden was elected. Every single thing was how was pro Biden. How great he is! But one of uh, Donald Trump's one of Donald Trump's patented phrases and r- reasons for his rise to power is his attack and hatred of the media itself, which I think is hilarious because like they're literally two ingredients in the same horrible cake we're all eating. Well, you also talk like you know Trump in the beginning versus Trump now. Um, and to go back to your um, question, I think, mm-hmm. was it, I think, Rob, you asked about, you know, how can uh, someone justify voting for someone who committed, you know, um, sexual assault on someone? Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, if you would have looked at evangelicals or Christians, like in the beginning, uh, there was a huge movement of pastors and stuff speaking out against Trump. And like, you know, even now, a lot of my um, people that I would kind of look up to, you know, they don't, they're anti-Trump even still. But I think as a whole, um, I don't know that he has been acting like, you know, uh, as a moral deviant um, since taking office. And I think that he probably has more support as a Christian from Christians now uh, than he did before. Um, But I mean, that's not to say that, you know, I still think he treats people very poorly. um, Mm -hmm. But that, you know, that that deviancy that you kind of alluded to, I don't know that it's really maintained the same levels. That's a very good point. I think that's a reasonable point. I guess some of the stuff we're seeing now since the election 
makes, okay, my perspective is this. So it really reveals to me that Trump is interested in what's good for Trump, not what's good for the United States. Because the kinds of actions that he's taking, these very spurious claims in the courts about the election are actually damaging to the democratic process and even more damaging to the reputation of the United States and its political structures. And this kind of uh, willful ignorance um, that if he says something strongly enough, it becomes the truth. Like we're doing really well with the coronavirus, you know, when it's very clear, like the, the numbers are going up in all 50 states. And, and the stuff he's doing with the election, um, it, it seems to me that he's got a very self-centered view. He doesn't have that kind of sense of community that I would consider to be an Im important part of Christianity, because along with redemption, I completely agree with you, um, is, is also the notion of, of kind of living Christ's example. Uh, what is he doing right now? What does he think he's doing? What is he achieving? Yeah, I think you asked like three or four questions. I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'll that. do that. <laughs> Pick one. Yeah. So um, I don't know, Zach, do you want to talk about this? I think it goes back to what I was kind of touching on earlier with um, Trump uh, creating his own reality, which he's been doing for four years. And Due to the fact that over the, you know, the, his, his presidency, the constant feed from his Twitter feed to his supporters or to the public, he's, you know, written a new rule in the rule book that says that I get to say whatever I want. And that is now the truth. And I feel like had there been, I don't know, some, some, like, like, there was no real way to turn. You, you can't turn him off, right? You can't turn. And, and I mean, you can actually turn your television off or your, you know, turn your alerts off on your phone, but this, his, the machine that he is of disinformation, in my opinion, has been running with a full tank of gas, you know, for a long time. And now it's just switched to diesel um, mm. because the more fire he throws on the, more fuel on the fire the more his people his supporters um to kind of you know kind of rally around him um and uh because he can't keep up with media and their projections and their lies philosophically zach i i, I wonder because the american democratic party were joined in in 1823 or whatever and it split when andrew jackson wanted to keep slavery and the republicans didn't um and then for my view, when you pass through the centuries and you come up to the Bill Clinton's law, which um, it's been argued around the world, um, incarceration rates are pretty stable. Some countries have more, some have less, but they're pretty stable. In the 90s, due to that uh, Bill Clinton's criminal law, in the states, incarceration rates went up to 900%. So then you go, then you go forward through to Kamala Harris, who personally prosecuted 1,500 people herself for pot charges. Um, and, 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 and the thing that's interesting about that is that, uh, I watched a Ted talk. I think her name was Rosenkratz. She said that 2% of people actually go through to incarceration conviction, but, um, 
what's alarming about that is that 70% of people killed, murdered, suicided and jailed die within the first couple of weeks. So my sort of view is uh, what you said you don't want the Americans to do. I feel like that Democratic Party want to go through people's homes, um, want to have their tendrils in every sort of aspect of, of life. And, that, and and that's probably where it heads to. I mean, I would agree that um, our uh, prison infrastructure in the United States is, is ridiculous. It's horrible. It's inhumane. I think I mean, probably all too many nonviolent criminals for sure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Just another way to enslave, to subjugate. Uh, I just don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair to, um, that's an America problem. That's not a Democrat problem or a Republican problem. I think that they're hand in hand doing what they're doing to make all the money they can. Well, I think that's kind of leftism in general, though, is like more pro-government control. That's generally true, except it seems when it comes to things like reproductive rights. And that's where it's the Republicans who want more more control. No, you can't have gay marriage. Yeah. But, no. but I don't think we're arguing about certain policies. I think we're arguing about holistic philosophical view. And the All Democrats right. do want to control... Yeah, well, I think Trump tried to insulate America and grow it up from the grassroots, and that's what Republicans stand for, that you can go and create your own American dream from nothing. Uh, but the Democratic argument, I think, philosophically, is to spread out around the world into the, the minor infrastructures in, in your communities um, and, and take control through subjugation, through imprisonment, through... Uh, we're talking about a hand chip that's going in, um, a credit card that's going in people's hands soon. So when the next vaccine, when the next COVID hits, uh, they'll know exactly where you are and you'll just be locked up. Do I get Wi-Fi no matter where I go? Because if I do, chip me up, buddy. Um, I mean, I just want good service, okay? I need to be able to watch my YouTubes. And there, therein lies the problem, right? That all of us will ultimately roll over for the thing that makes our individual lives better, and and what happens, you know, <laughs> that's really yeah. unfortunate. Maybe well, that's right. When the Nazis rolled in, people like to think that they would fight against the Nazis, but in fact, it was the complete opposite. Ninety percent just rolled up with them, and and, and this COVID thing. It's interesting that when when AIDS swept through and was killing um, homosexual males and and the rest of it, or when Ebola hit in Africa and, and the, the rest of the world didn't stop. But when rich old white men were uh, a chance of catching this disease that the rest of us have a 99.9% .9 success rate of living through, the whole world shut down. Now, do you, do you think there's some sort of power behind that? The whole world is, uh, no, 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 no matter where you are, it's, uh, it's, you're, you're, you're existing within some sort of class system, right? Um, and when there is a threat to the highest of that upper class, they're going to do whatever they can to protect that. Um, and then it'll trickle down, you know, hopefully. Um, That's the theory. You know, we've got... Look, we've, we've sort of wandered, which is totally what we always do here between the bits <laughs> and the block. We wander. Oh, yeah. I started with this question about what does Trump think he's doing now? And I was referring to the courts in particular. And Zach had an answer, but then we wandered. We didn't give John an opportunity. Um, I just want to read this. It's just two paragraphs. This is the um, judgment that came out yesterday in the Pennsylvania case. Just the first two paragraphs. 
And the judge whose judgment it was, Matthew Brand, a longtime conservative Republican, and this is his opening statement in his judgment. In this action, the Trump campaign and the individual plaintiffs seek to discard millions of votes legally cast by Pennsylvanians from all corners, from Greene County to Pike County and everywhere in between. In other words, plaintiffs ask this court to disenfranchise almost 7 million voters. One might expect that when seeking such a startling outcome, a plaintiff would come formidably armed with compelling legal arguments and factual proof of rampant corruption. That has not happened. Instead, this course has been caught has been presented with strained legal arguments without merit and speculative accusations unpled in the operative complaint and unsupported by evidence. I think also, I think Tucker Carlson, another Republican, like, you know, talking head, um, kind of has had issues with uh, Sidney Powell. You know, recently they've been in the news having a few like, you know, you guys have to produce evidence right now or else, you know, uh, what you said earlier, undermining democracy and like our election system. Uh, but then also, I think you kind of have to listen to what Sidney Powell is also saying and think about the hypothetical that, um, number one, Trump is doing this through the legal means. He has yes. until December December 8th, I think, to file all the lawsuits and do whatever he wants to. Uh, so far, what he's doing is not illegal. Not, uh, not at two, all. That the, yeah, and so the other thing is that the suits that he's doing currently aren't actually um, for fraud. Um, all the ones that he's doing right now, I think, is mainly as like a, stall um or a time buying tactic kind of one thing i've kind of told my wife is i feel like they're kind of fishing they're kind of trying to stall the process out to see if anyone comes forward because of all the um like you know like the i would say the irregularities that have happened um throughout the election process um between um i mean you guys seem to know what you're talking about so i don't need to go through all the things um that you know if hypothetically that if you know somebody had actually rigged an election system to flip hundreds of thousands of votes, which Sidney Powell is claiming and like betting her entire career on um, mm. that, you know, that it's going to, it's going to play out in the courts here eventually. But I think that Republicans as a whole will be demanding that they actually have some sort of evidence or proof other than the fact that, uh, you know, she can get up there and Giuliani can get up there in front of the press and make all these claims. Uh, but I think that the uh, public opinion is starting to sway um, as far as like, you know, them needing to pre present evidence before, you know, they go in and let the process go through and, you know, move Biden forward as a president elect. Right. And you've got, uh, well, I think speaking of just firing people who don't agree with you, though, I mean, I, I think that Giuliani needs to fire his makeup artist. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, you see, that's one thing I'm kind of disappointed, though, is that people focus on the fact that he had hair dye or whatever running down his face. <laughs> That's you know. a very good point, yeah. but it's good for a lot. Got a, um, so uh, you you dropped the name Sidney Powell. Um, each of you have um, in the last little segment we're doing here. I just find it interesting that as of today, and I just saw this on Twitter like an hour before we uh, started recording, uh, the Trump campaign statement for, on their legal team says, Sidney Powell is practicing law on her own. She is not a member of the Trump legal team. She's also not a lawyer for the president in his personal capacity, signed Rudy Giuliani. So I wonder yeah, if that's, that's kind of telling that they're also starting to distance themselves from some of the more wild uh, claims, uh, hypothetical claims that she's been uh, mispowered. Well, Giuliani's in 100%. He, he's like in deep. He's made the same claim she has. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah. the thing is like Giuliani's a politician. Like it doesn't hurt him. He can just kind of shrug off and go on. 
uh, Sydney Powell's a private private attorney, like her career will be, her reputation is going to be tanked. Whether it's to the degree that it can overturn the election, I don't know, but I think there's little doubt that things, something went wrong for Biden to get 80% of the votes in the last couple of hours. Well, now, wait a second. Uh, so the Department of Homeland I, Security, which is not renowned. I'm not saying it. Yeah. The, the Department of Homeland Security said, and this surprised me that they said it and that it's even true, if it is, um, that this is the uh, least compromised U.S. election in history. Yeah, see, it depends where you get your facts from because... From the Department Trainer, of Homeland Security. The, the, well, Trey Trainer, who's the head of the Electoral com, uh, Committee, have said that the, they the Republicans weren't witness to the ballots, that there, that there was. It says observers have, have not been permitted to watch, um, and that is an actual law. So it, 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 and it comes back to which facts do you want to believe? Um, and that's purported by different media sites, different ideas, whichever side you side with. I feel like that particular argument about um, the observers not being allowed to observe, I find that, I mean, and I, I, I honestly probably need to, to, you know, do some more research like we all do all the time. Um, but I feel like there were probably some people, Trump supporters, because he was asking them to go watch the polls, go watch the votes, go that people were turned away. Because there, there has to be an actual, like, official way for a Republican or Democratic representative to come into those rooms and view the process, just, you know, yeah. in terms of, you know, safety well, and, and, and it's all like that. It's what, what John said earlier. If you're inclined to the left, then you're going to start to believe some of those lies. If you're inclined to the right, then you're going to start to believe those lies. But but who knows? I mean, Trey Trainer said that, that it's, this is in Pennsylvania. It's actually illegal for people not to watch those 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 votings and the and the ballot taking you can see right. video of the uh, scrutineers the official observers watching the counts in those places where it was claimed they weren't allowed to i've got alan jones here now watching the the people doing the counting the votes who are actually filling in voting cards but i i mean i, I guess we're going to find out in the, in the soon future um whether there is good but didn't trump get there by the same way i'm sure there's dead voters that voted for trump and, and and so um things in the states i mean apart from the election you know we've had a, a period of what looks like a fair amount of civil unrest and i'm wondering just from both of you give us your worst case scenario and your best case scenario for what happens in the us in the next couple of years well i'm asking you to make i think the worst up. case scenario Sure. Yeah. No. Worst case scenario, I think, is that Trump gets elected, um, and they prove that there's deep, deep fraud. I mean, the hypothetical that he gets elected is only because they've proven that there's ma massive voter fraud across the entire U.S. In case that happens, um, like our entire democratic system is undermined, uh, which I'll also kind of allude to. You know, um, Klobuchar and uh, Warren both put a, a study into claiming that Dominion was a um, a bad voting system, you know, I think yeah. in 19 or 2019, last year. Um, and so it's not like the Democrats haven't pointed out the problems with, you know, the private, there's three different private voting systems, make up 90% of the voting uh, machines across the US. Um, and it's like, they, it's not that they're not aware of it. It's just that they're, they're being quiet because, you know, right now they've got, they, they've got the upper hand, so they don't have to do anything. I think that if Trump were to go in, um, one, Republicans think that the entire system is rigged against them. Liberals are mad and think that, you know, um, Trump stole the election and now we have a, you know, a tyrant that just took over. 
uh, and then you know it amounts to basically a civil war. <laughs> you know, I just I just don't know who you fight though. Like I don't know how you like having a, a you know a traditional civil war. I don't see it being the same in the U.S. as maybe something that's happened in the past. Mm. And what's your best case scenario, Jonathan? Biden gets elected and does a good job. Wow. And that's that's coming from a, a, a self-proclaimed Republican. I, I just don't see Biden um, creating any sort of policy at all. I think Kamala Harris will just chew him up. And I don't think he's going to see the four years out. I think the people behind him are going to direct the play. Well, yeah, I think that's the argument the whole time is that Biden's, you know, kind of on a downward slope, um, that he's not the main player. I mean, he's just... He, Anytime you ask him about policy, he says, oh, you know, like, wait until after the election, I'll tell you what I'm going to do type thing. Um, I don't know that, you know, he, the thing is, uh, Biden has also been pretty much a uh, moderate Democrat, uh, whereas, you know, there's a really strong uh, far left movement in the Democratic Party trying to push him. Uh, but I think he's yeah. probably just going to kind of go along party, party principle, uh, kind of go along with the flow. I don't think he's going to try to ruffle too many feathers. Uh, the only things that I do think that he has, like, He's made promises that are very, like, very, very far left. But I think that those things were also just to try and solidify a left base of voter. You, you don't try to take away everyone's guns in the U.S., you know. Um, you don't try. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like a lot of things that he has, he's going to be, like, stacking the courts. and uh, Or, he, I mean, he said that, and then he, he said he won't do it. But then he, he may yeah. do it, and then we'll have to find out type thing. Um, I don't yeah. think that stacking the courts is going to be a good idea. Zach, what's your best case and worst case scenario for the US <laughs> in the next couple of years? My worst case scenario is violence of any kind and however that would come about. Because I could see it coming about from honestly flipping a coin on the election outcome. I hope that, I just hope that we can avoid that because I do know, I mean, I, I, you know, someone brought up guns in America, and I do know, um, and, and, and Jonathan, I'm sure you do as well, a lot of, I know a lot of responsible, smart gun owners that hunt and, and also just have c collections and just have lots of, you know, just enjoy the sport of, uh, of shooting and stuff. I also know people that are actively, tactically training against some sort of to support some sort of militia type mentality or like to, a right-wing militia yes okay and i and i also um know uh you know i i know of uh some some anarch i have some anarchist uh type folks that i know that like to just show up to um anything and kind of <laughs> uh ca cause a ruckus um it doesn't yeah. matter that, they're they're there to support um, the the Anakin. failure of the well, the failure of democracy. They they're, give us Anakin the bad name. Yeah. Um, so my worst case is um, violence of any kind. I I just feel civil like war. that's well. There's not going to be a civil war because no, in my opinion, there's no there's no grassroots like uprising that can take out the u.s department Definitely. of defense yeah like yeah. the u like the, the u.s military is the most dangerous thing on the face of the planet like <laughs> yeah but who are they going to fight for there I, I i feel like um they fight for the constitution so 
I mean, that, that, that's who they swore their allegiance to. Um, they don't swear their allegiance to a person or to, you know, it's, it's to defend the Constitution and democracy itself. So To the free. I'd, but under that socialism regime, there's no freedom. Yeah, but you've They're been all... gaslit. To, you've been gaslit to think that Biden is the each socialist side Trojan. Has, each side has been gaslit he's to not, believe whatever they like. He's not the socialist Trojan horse. Like he's not. <laughs> like, like th- that. That to me is just the most ridiculous argument about Biden is that he's this some sort of like that AOC is the puppeteer of Joe Biden. <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> Because, um, like him or not, what Joe Biden did was, and it may have not been him himself, it may have been his team, he built a coalition, right? He built a coalition of all kinds of different kinds of Democrats that all, and, and that, that decided that the way the country was going was not the direction that they wanted to be a part of. So let's get um, back on our track. Well, let me, let, me, let me do my, my uh, uh, best, best case. case scenario. That in the first 100 days, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris legalized marijuana nationwide. <laughs> that was that. And she they just s- locked up people from marijuana. She's not turning over that quick. That was a long time You're, ago, Steve. And actually, in the vice presidential debate, she said that the Biden-Harris ticket is going to push for legalization and decriminalization of marijuana nationwide and start start retroactively getting some of these nonviolent offenders out of the prison systems. She said that, and then that fucking fly landed on that douchebag's head, and that's all anybody <laughs> talked about that's for right. the next two fucking weeks. <laughs> Zach, you were saying that there's something that we haven't talked about. I was talking to, I, I think, a, a mate of ours, uh, Rob, Steve Mackey. Um, we were talking about something on uh, chatting online recently, and he is you know another befuddled Australian wondering what the hell is going on in America, um, and something that I would want to I kind of want to talk about is just contrarianism in American politics, um, and just this idea of there are people that vote for Trump or Biden just because it's not the other it's just the, it's it's not the other one right, and I think that that is a huge a huge amount of the of either side's votes that they get is it's just an opposite. It's just, no one thinks about policy or cares about, uh, you know, what, what executive orders are doing or what bills are getting passed or they just, it's like a, it's like a sport. Well, yeah, I'm glad you do. I just think that, um, and, and I do as well, but I, I, I do feel like a lot of it is American politics is a sport and that, Trump capitalized on that. He even got them ball caps, so and t-shirts and and scarves and flags and the pageantry of you know you're on our team. They're the other team, and no matter what, like I'm a big fan of the Dallas Cowboys. I have been for 30 years, and that has been no matter what the team has consisted of. I mean, we've had rapists, we've had drug offenders, we've had wife beaters, we've had. Um, all kinds of yeah. Even no wonder now, you can't win a Super Bowl. You're just so busy, Zach. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying that's my team, right? And I was raised to support that team. And I don't know. I feel like that's how a lot of American voters are. You're just raised one way, 
and that's the way you are. And it doesn't matter if the person that you're voting for is literally giving you the middle finger, you are going to vote for that person because it's built, it's built in you. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And I think that's equally true and perhaps becoming more so even in Australia. Like I even had a friend who was just kind of waking up politically a few years ago who said, I think I've, I don't understand why people get, you know, I, I vote liberal, which Jonathan in Australia, that just to be confusing, the liberal party is a conservative <laughs> party. She said, I vote liberal because my parents voted liberal. And to me, it's just like your religion or your football team and you don't ask people about it. So, you know, which is obviously a, a bit of a banal statement since the ramifications of who you vote for are a little bigger than which football team you support. But the first knee-jerk reaction is to go, ah, you know, so it's social media is playing a part in it with its echo chambers. And it is true in what you say, depending on what media you look at, which um, social media platform, uh, that's got something to do with it. But is it actually also a result of having a, a two-party system. You've got a two-party system in the States. We've got a two-party system here. And to break away from your party and uh, even vote for a minor party, let alone, you know, the other party is such a big thing. Whereas I'm not suggesting it's a good system, but, you know, in Italy where they've got 19 major parties and dozens and dozens of minor parties, there's a lot more mobility and fluidity. Yeah, I mean, that's right on. I hate the two-party system. I mean, it is kind of unfortunate that you can't, have different values because libertarians have to run as Republicans to win and progressives have to run as Democrats in order to win. And politics is a game about winning. So if you're not going to play to win, what's the point of playing? Hmm. Yeah. There was a big opportunity missed when Bernie didn't, when Bernie didn't run third party, not that he would have won. I just think that if uh, Bernie had ran as an independent or, you know, made up his own party or whatever, I think that it would have been really interesting to see, um, because he had he had that fervent support of uh, you know real grassroots you know small dollar donors um, he really built a platform and like you say Jonathan had to uh, run as a Democrat to be taken seriously which I think is unfortunate. Yeah, there was a couple of interesting elections there in the states. I'm not saying this to support either of them, but you know like when Perot ran as an independent, and then there was that Greens fella. I've forgotten his name. Randy. Nader. Nader. Yeah, Nader. So, I mean, that, that was, you know, potentially the, the, the opening of, but that then fell by the wayside, right? Well, yeah, it, it fell by the wayside. And also um, I have, I have a, a, a fairly good friend that is very libertarian. I think voted for, I believe their name is Joe Jorgensen. Joe, Joe who, Jorgensen. Yeah. Who was the libertarian candidate. And, you know, he was, we were having the, the argument of, which I don't know if I really believe, you know, a vote for a third party is throwing your vote away. You know, I, I don't, I think your vote is your vote and you should vote however you want. I, I mean, like, can it tip the scales one way or the other? Sure. It can help or hurt any, you know, a candidate. But what I said to him was, I need to hear from the, whatever the third party, if a third party were to rise in America or to rise in any uh, two party system country, they have to start like now and start generating a campaign that sustains for the next four years that is making noise because we only ever hear about them in this last six months leading up to the election. What if it worked out that Trump was friends with George Soros and some of those high financiers behind the Democratic Party? 
are you suggesting then that if if Trump was Democrat, you would vote for him, Zach? No, I wasn't <laughs> saying that's how I vote. I'm saying that that's um, that's how across the board, like you say, across the board. Would do you think Trump could be in power as a Democrat? You're saying hypothetically, hypothetically, if Donald Trump had won the primaries, the Democratic primaries, and then was the Democratic candidate in a hypothetical election, yeah, could I vote I for him? Argue it would be the same argument, except you'd be wearing a red hat, he'd be wearing a blue hat. But I think if Trump is the Democrat, I have to see who the Republican option is, right? Like I weigh my options, Steve. I'm not, you know, just <laughs> mindlessly marching. I would probably, I mean, is it is it Trump versus Jeb Bush? <laughs> just because who doesn't like three bushes oh yeah and on that note we've had a, a fascinating <laughs> wide-ranging lengthy conversation i want to ask a, quite a different question of the elephant in the room ah see what i did there oh did i get that right are the elephants the republicans Yep. Good. It. So to you, Jonathan, you're the elephant in the room. Can I ask what happened with your job in Colorado? Uh, so I, fortunately, uh, my I'm a project manager, so I don't actually have to be there on site. I just kind of have to, you know, negotiate or with people as and um, inter, inter, interface with the client, uh, talk to the people that were already in place with their jobs on the ground uh, there in Colorado. And so I was lucky enough um, that I can work remotely. And so I've been fortunate enough to be able to do that. Otherwise, you know, we'd be in a really, really big pickle right now. Zach, what's the theatre world like at the moment over there? Because uh, you're you're still you're still a theatre maker, I take it. Still a thespian. I was I was the general manager um, running a theatre when the uh, pandemic hit, and we were a dinner theatre uh, doing burlesque shows. Don't worry, Steve. I wasn't performing. I was just behind the scenes. Um, <laughs> but we initially closed the business. Uh, the owners of in- uh, initially closed for like eight weeks um, in the initial lockdown time, and kind of let us all know that that that, that was what was happening. And then that evolved into them closing permanently. So I've been out of work uh, since the theater closed, and we. As an industry, it's really, really bleak right now um, in terms of, uh, I mean, you can go online this Friday and find 7 million, you know, Zoom readings that artists are doing and creating, but the economy, the arts economy is dead. There's no paying jobs. Uh, some of, the, of the, the larger theater companies um, although they've they've downsized to an entirely like skeleton crew, they are still you know like the biggest theater in Houston's offering like a virtual Christmas Carol coming up in in December that you can you know pay your online fee and go watch. So in terms of live theater, I don't know. I don't know when when we'll be able to get back to because the thing about theater is we are already operating at like a 50% capacity or less um, in terms of butts on seats and getting people into your venue to see your shows. Right. So um, when the entire economy, I mean, you just can't, you just can't afford to put a show on for, you know, for a socially distanced crowd because it doesn't, the numbers don't, don't, don't work out. 
I know that Broadway, which is a big barometer for us in America, the broad, you know, what's Broadway going to do? Um, yeah. They're shuttered. They're, they're shuttered till March. I believe March of 2021 is when they're looking at producing shows again. So I, if I'm honest, I feel lost as a, as an artist right now. Yeah. It's very, very difficult. We have, um, as you know, we, we did a lot of things here to pivoted, or as I prefer to say, swiveled. And people did those, the Zoom readings and the Zoom shows, they're not the same. Our company produced uh, an audio play, um, which you can hear if you like. Just go to www.qldshakespeare.org and look for Macbeth in the Dark. Yes, I did just plug my own show. <laughs> but we have just had the word that theatres can now go back to full capacity. And that's been a real you know, lifesaver because you're right, running at half capacity, any of the smaller places... I mean, Broadway, a lot of those theatres are owned by, you know, Disney and massive corporations like that, and they will be able to sink the money into it. But a lot of those independent places... Steve, shall we let these good gentlemen go to bed? Yeah, I think so. Uh, any parting yeah. words from you, John or Zach? Um, I will just say uh, thank you. Thank you, Jonathan, for uh, for uh, for coming on here and, uh, you know, just having a dialogue. I, I appreciate your... Uh, your approach to Facebook and that you keep uh, things lighthearted and you still try to have fun, you know? Like, I appreciate that. That's one thing, man. If we, we, we could all stand to continue to try to have some fucking fun. That's awesome. a great parting word. Join us again in two weeks when we'll be talking to two, uh, two Queenslanders, uh, Rachel and Kat, you will hear from in two weeks' time. Two Queenslanders who also have a connection to the theatre and to prisons. Why is it, Steve, that we always end up talking about jail in every damn episode? I wonder. <laughs> All right, folks, thanks very much. And catch us next time on Between the Butcher. Yeah, the Butcher in the Block. Jesus Christ. Between the Butcher oh, yeah. and the Block. block, block, block. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.